Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Nothing is more important than aligning ourselves with God. And that's the title of our message this morning, Aligning Ourselves with the Will of God for Our Lives. And as we enter into this new year, we want to be certain that we're focused on that very thing, that we're aligning ourselves with the will of God for our lives. In Psalm 127, verse 1, we have an important verse of Scripture. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. And what he's saying to us is that it's futile for us to build our house and expect it to be protected if God's not in it. If God's not in it, if we don't pursue and seek his will, so we have his instructions and we know what he would have us to do, well, then he's not really not obligated to protect it or etc. Jesus said it like this, a wise man will build his house on the structure or the foundational teaching of God's word. Then when the storms of life come, it'll be protected and they won't be overwhelmed or overcome by the storm. So whether it's a house, whether it's a city, whether it's a nation, whether it's a family, whether it's an individual life, God wants us to pursue his perspective, his will, and do what he would have done. I remember when uh, Brother Hagin began his healing class in Tulsa, Oklahoma, over at the uh, Rainbow Bible Training Center. What he used to do is have them come in, and they would, for 45 minutes, worship. And as this went on for a certain amount of time, finally the Lord spoke to him and said, what kind of service is this? He said, well, it's a healing meeting. He said, what are you supposed to be doing? Teaching on healing, so people's faith can rise up to the place of receiving healing. He said, then why are you worshiping for 45 minutes before you, you start your teaching? He said, oh, I want you to teach. Sing a song or two. Get everybody prepared and ready. But I want you to get into the Word and teach people. And when he made that adjustment, he made that change, people started receiving. You see, it takes faith to receive from God. We can't receive from God apart from faith. We can't please God apart from faith. We've got to believe. Matter of fact, when Jesus went about teaching, it was because they were so full of doubt and unbelief in his own hometown of Nazareth, he could there do no mighty works. Think about that. Mark's Gospel, you could read it for yourself. Chapter 6. He could there do no mighty work. You want him to do a mighty work? Do we want him to do a mighty work? But he could there do no mighty work. Why? Because of their unbelief. He marveled at their unbelief. So what about teaching? See, teaching remedies unbelief. We've got to be taught the Word of God so that we can walk in faith. And that's what this life is all about. It's a life of faith. And why is it a life of faith? Because Jesus did it all for us. It's not a life of works. You can't work it up. We can't do it by works. 
It's believing what God's word says and acting in what Jesus did, on what Jesus did. That's why it's called the finished work of Christ. So whether it's a house, a city, a church, a family, an individual life, it's important for us to be certain that we're in the will of God, that we're aligning ourselves with the will of God. Now, Paul the Apostle is a perfect example of this. Here he was, he was Saul of Tarsus, and what he was doing was, a, was something he thought was honoring God. It was a noble act. But he was trying to stamp out Christianity until finally he met someone who put him on the right course. Who was that? Jesus. When he aligned himself with the will of God for his life, that's when he began to do all that he did for the kingdom of God. Now, yes, he suffered persecution along the way, and so will you and so will I along the way suffer persecution. Every single one of us will, but you're aligned with the will of God, and he's, what, obligated to you to defend you, to protect you, to help you along the way, because you're carrying out his will for your life. So once he met Jesus, he got it all turned around. So what's that telling us? If we step out to do something apart from the will of God, we think we could do it on our own, then really we're on our own. But if we step out to do what he tells us to do, it's a different story. Whether it's having a Bible study, whether it's having a healing meeting or whatever it might be, praise God, we want him to be exalted. We want him to be honored and we want to do it his way. Did you know his ways and thoughts are much higher than ours? As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are his ways and thoughts higher than ours. Last time I checked, the sun was about 93 million miles away from the earth. Would you say that's pretty high? It's pretty high, isn't it? How high? So high beyond our comprehension. And that's just a small thing. When it comes to the far reaches of space, it's beyond anything we could imagine. It's light years and light years and light years and light years away. That's how much higher his ways and thoughts are than ours. And guess what? We think we know something. We think we actually know something. We don't know anything. Without him, you've heard me say this time and time again, we are nothing, have nothing, know nothing, we can do nothing apart from him. So what makes us think we can have success without him? What makes us think that we could just do what we want to do and it's, he's going to have to be obligated to bless it? No, the important thing is, is for us to align ourselves with the will of God. And for 2023, it begins right here. Just what you saw this morning. Uh, it's aligning ourselves with what he desires to do among us as a church body. And what is that? He wants us to have greater intimacy with him. Greater intimacy with him. He wants an invitation. How many of you had invited someone to come to church at one time or another in your life? That means you wanted them there. Right? Well, guess what? Jesus wants an invitation. He wants to be welcomed. He wants to usher himself in among us so that where his name is mentioned, there he is. There he is. We want reality. Not a church service. A meeting with God. A meeting with the living God. Experiencing him. Secondly, he wants us to bask in the glory of his presence. Hallelujah. Sometimes just a church service could be, and I believe we're going to have them. You just walk in, you start to worship, and guess what? There's such a presence of God. You just be still and know that he is God. And he starts speaking to individual hearts and individual lives and just touching them with his presence. And then the third thing was exalt the person of Jesus. 
the magnificent person of our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember in Revelation chapter 5 when there is the book in the right hand of the Father written within on the backside, sealed with seven seals. Remember that? And there was no man worthy to take the book, even to look thereon. So John began to weep. And as he wept, one of the elders came over and said to him, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed to take the book and to open the seals thereof. He says, I beheld in the low in the midst of the throne and beasts and the elders to the lamb as he had been slain. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the beast, the four beasts, and four, the beast and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. No creature in heaven, no creature on earth, no creature beneath the earth, no one that's in the sea, only one person in all of creation, in all of the universe is worthy to take that book. And open the seals thereof. And what's his name? Jesus. Jesus. He is to be exalted in this place. When he took the book, they all worshipped him. You're worthy to take the book because you redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every kindred, tongue, and people, and nation. And you made us kings and priests before our God. And we will reign with you in the earth. And how about this? He says, and I beheld in the midst of the throne. He saw angels. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Now that's a large number. That's a little bit more than what you have in your bank account. Maybe a little bit more. I don't know. 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands of angels. Now you've got every creature in heaven, every creature on earth, every creature under the earth, such as are in the sea, and now all these angels gathered around the throne, and what are they doing? Worthy is the Lamb. You talk about a sound, you talk about a roar throughout all creation, worthy is the Lamb! Worthy is the Lamb to receive riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature in heaven, every creature on earth, every creature beneath the earth and such as are in the sea. Joined in. Said, yeah. He's worthy. He's worthy. Because of his redemptive work. Because of his shed blood. He's worthy. Amen. Look in the book of Ephesians chapter 5. After we exalt Jesus. I don't know if you're ready for this or not. But we need to get ourselves ready. Are you ready to get yourself ready? Someone says, I want you to do some es teaching on eschatology. Okay. That's the end times, right? You ready for it? Be ready. That's my teaching on eschatology be ready. Oh, we can go into length and detail and all that, but you know what? Be ready. Look at Israel. Keep your eyes on Israel. See what's going on right now. Look what's going on at the Temple Mount. Look what's going on with the red heifers. Look what's going on with uh, Ben-Gavir. It's taking place. A lot of stuff that's going on right now, but be ready. 
That's the best advice I could possibly give anyone because our redemption is drawing nigh. He's coming soon. Oh, you might say, well, not this year, next year, three years, four years. Soon to him is nothing. It's just like a blink of the eye. To him, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. Right? Think about it. Sunday, people on earth are going to live to be a thousand years old again. Without a wrinkle. Without hair dye. Never mind. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27 say, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Jesus is not coming back for a wrinkled church. He's not coming back for an unholy church. He's not coming back for a blemished church. He's coming back for a holy church. Without wrinkle, without spot, without blemish. And that is only achieved by the blood that he shed for us. And here's how it works. Positionally speaking, we are already there. Aren't you glad for that? You are holy, without spot, without blemish, unreproachable, unrebukable in his sight. You missed a good time to shout. He has reconciled you to himself by his blood. And when the father looks down and he looks through the rainbow that's before the throne. And he sees all of us cleansed in the blood of Jesus. Holy, without spot, without blemish. Praise God. That's how you are seen by God right now in spirit. Now, he wants us to get that which is on the inside to make it manifest on the outside. That's called positional holiness. That's called practical holiness. See, positionally, you've arrived. But practically, it's getting it from here to there. From the inside to the outside. Which is why Paul said, work out your own salvation with what? fear and trembling with reverence why because it's not on the outside yet it's on the inside and this guy on the outside I don't know about your guy on the outside or your girl on the outside but this guy on the outside wants to do little things a little bit different than the guy on the inside does your, you ever notice that I'm not going to eat for the whole day today and the guy on the outside says that's what you think I've already anointed sister so and so to bring you your next chocolate cake and you're not going to say no see this man on the outside wants to do its own thing but the man on the inside wants to do what God wants done so we got to get it from the inside to the outside and that's called cleansing ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit perfecting holiness how in the fear of God so what do we do we acknowledge you are Jehovah M. Kadesh you're my sanctifier and what that means is I am sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ and I'm presented to the Father holy and without blame before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. That's good to know. But also it means I access by faith through grace the blood of Jesus that empowers me to live a holy life before God. To cleanse myself from all this flesh 
that's trying to dictate to my life. Can you see that? You see, this flesh wants to act up and do its own thing. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, be angry, but sin not. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. When you get angry, there's a tendency to give place to sin by acting out our anger. But he says, no, 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 don't do that. You could be angry. That's okay to be angry, but don't sin. Don't sin. Don't give place to the devil. So that's the warfare between the flesh and the spirit, you know, and the mind, which is the soul's part of man, in the middle, whatever way we lean. When the Bible says, lean not to your own understanding, trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. Which way are we leaning? If we're leaning toward our feelings and emotions and all that, then we're probably not going to win. But if we lean toward trusting God with our whole heart, then he can make up the power that we need to overcome that, the flesh. Which is why the Bible says the flesh needs to be crucified. How often? Daily. You say, well, why daily? Because you're living in it daily. You know, when you leave this flesh, you're gone. One of two places, that's it. So, we want to see to it that we, as, a, as an individual, as a family, and as a church body, align ourselves with what the will of God is for our lives this year. And once again, I know that the time is getting short. We know that he's coming back soon. And why are we supposed to keep on saying that? Because no one knows the time, the date, or the hour on purpose. He, he doesn't want us to know. But he wants us to be motivated to keep our eyes on the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus our Lord because he is coming soon. That's our motivation. What if he does come tomorrow? What if he does come tonight? Where are we at spiritually? Are we walking in the place that God wants us to be in as an individual, as a family, as a church body, as a nation, and so on and so forth? Well, are we ready for this walk with the Lord? In the book of Amos chapter 3 and verse 3, it's not in your notes, but it is in your Bible. It says, can two walk together except they be agreed? Can two walk together except they be agreed? Jesus said, if two of us agree on earth as touching anything, we shall ask. You say, well, that sounds easy. No, it's not. Mm -mm. You think that's easy? Get married. Can two walk together except they be agreed? It's not easy to get two people coming from different backgrounds, different family history, different personalities, and so on and so forth, different genders. You see, you go all the way back to the beginning. We could really meddle here a little bit. You think we're going to get through this? We're never going to get through this. That's a year of teaching I outlined for you right now. You know that. We go back to the very beginning. What do we see at the very beginning? God made man. He made all the kingdoms of the world, and he made man in his own image and likeness, right? He saw the works of his hands and he said, everything that I made is very good. But when he made man, he said, this is not good. That a man should be alone, right? So he performed the first surgical procedure caused a deep sleep. This is called Holy Ghost anesthetic to come upon him. He laid him out, went into his side, pulled out a rib. You see, that was, it's unclear here because it's not really written out in Scripture, but I know it's true. When he pulled out the rib, he pulled out half the brain. <laughs> did you know that? He did. Mm-hmm. And when he pulled out that rib, pulled out half the brain, now he then 
how about this one? He took us from the dust of the earth, but he delicately and skillfully handcrafted the woman. What are we, chopped liver? Delicately, skillfully handcrafted the woman and presented her to him as his bride. How about that one? His was formed. Ours has to be found. Whoso finds a wife finds a good thing. Well, just go to sleep one night. Can we just wake up and there she is? Perfect in all her ways. So now we have a male and female made he him. Man is both male and female. Did you know that? Man is both male and female, which is why 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says, let every man have his own wife and every woman have her own husband. It makes that very clear. So when he did that, why am I saying this? Because you're trying to put together two individuals that come from two different backgrounds, different personalities, and, and et cetera, et cetera, right? And blend them as one. Whew. Men don't think the way women think. And women don't think the way men think. Have you noticed that yet? And there's a reason for that. So that we would be dependent on each other. You see, the completed image of God is not found in a man or found in a woman. It's found in the man and the woman coming together. Now you've got a whole brain. Women, men are right, men are left brain functional. Women are right brain functional. You get half each of these brains and put them together, you've got a whole brain. Now you've got the whole image of God right there. That's why when you go on a trip in the summertime, maybe you're on a vacation... You know, the guy's trying to get there as fast as he can because he wants to beat the record that Siri tells you you got to be there within a certain amount of time. You've got to beat that. And she says, slow down. and I want to stop at the outlet. And he says, uh-uh. We can't do that. I won't get there on time. But the kids have to go to the bathroom. That's why I put the bottle in the car. Men think one way. Women think, aren't we on vacation? Yeah. But, see, men are more... They have to conquer, right? We have to conquer. Women are more emotional and they're in tune with their emotions and all that and they want to see to it that the trip is a wonderful trip and we can smell the roses along the way. Why'd I get off on that? Because how can two walk together except they be agreed? So we have to agree. And when you get two different backgrounds, two different genders, two different mindsets, etc., etc., it's not easy to get them to come in absolute agreement with one another. So, but Jesus said, if you agree. So how are we going to walk together with God except we be agreed? Agree with who? God. This is one of the little pet peeves of mine, if I could throw it out there to you. When I hear people saying, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. You know what registers in me? You've never read your Bible. You minimize the redemptive work of Christ. You know, that sounds religious. That sounds humble. But it's the furthest thing from the truth. It's an insult to Jesus. You realize that? Because you're not an old sinner that's been saved by grace. You were an old sinner. You've been saved by grace. The Bible calls you a saint. Paul writes to the church at Rome and he says, Saints, all called to be saints. You're a saint. Well, why walk around calling yourself an ain't when you could be a saint? You're not a sinner anymore. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. 
But the Bible says my righteousness is filthy rags. We're not talking about your righteousness. We know that. And Jesus took care of it for you. He took care of it for you. He took care of it for me. Yeah, my righteousness is as filthy rags. I'm not looking at who I am in me. I'm looking at who I am in Christ. And he says, in him, I am and you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Guess what? I agree with that. Now, if there was a verse that says that Bill's six foot two, I'd agree with that. But I can't. Can you pull up that verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 5 verse 21? I just want, to, want you to see it. I want you to see, see what it really says. Why are we disagreeing with God? Why are these even preachers disagreeing with God? I'm so unworthy to come. What? So unworthy to come before the throne? The blood was shed to make you worthy, to make you holy, to make you acceptable. He had made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made sinners saved by grace. What are we? What are we? You see why we live by faith? Because if I went by feeling, I don't feel so righteous. Sometimes you don't feel so righteous. But you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Did you do something wrong? Yeah, and you might have conviction over that. And that's understandable. But you're still the righteousness of God in Christ. All you got to do is repent. Get it under the blood once again. And thank God, you're still the... That's why 1 John 1, 9 says, If you confess your sin, He's faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from what? All unrighteousness. That was unrighteousness that was committed, but you're cleansed from it. How? By the blood that Jesus shed for you. That's how. So how can two walk together except they be agreed? It's either we agree with our flesh or we agree with God. I'd rather agree with God. And the more I agree with God, then it becomes more of a reality to me. But if I don't agree with God, it will never become a reality to me. So look at point number one. To align ourselves with the will of God as an individual. In our relationship with Him, look at the first point we have here. God wants us saved in coming to the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2 in verse 4. Who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God's will is for all men to be saved. It says it right there. Who will all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Notice it doesn't just say saved. It's saved and. Matter of fact, when someone says, are you saved? You say, yes, I'm saved and. Saved in what? Coming to the knowledge of the truth. Why am I coming to the knowledge of the truth? Because Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Knowing the truth will make you free. So it's important we recognize our need to agree with God above even our senses, above our feelings, above our emotions, above religious tradition, above church doctrine. We agree with this word of God, even though it may not look like it, feel like it, taste like it, smell like it, or whatever like it. We agree with what God says. Well, isn't that arrogant to call myself a saint? What is it to call yourself a, si a sinner? What you're doing is you're insulting Jesus. He died for you to be a saint. He bore your sin. He became sin to make you a saint. And you're saying, no, I'm not. You're a saint. Well, don't I have to have a certain amount of miracles? No. You only needed one miracle. And that miracle was found in your Savior. And you were born again. 
So this is the will of God for all men and women. That's all incorporated into that for all to be saved. Here's the sad part. Religion sends more people to hell than anything else. You realize that? Religion does. More people are sent to hell because of religion. This is not religion. Being a Christian is a relationship. You have been born again, born of the Spirit, washed in the blood. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. You've been born of the Spirit and washed in the blood. And you've now, you're now a son or a daughter of the Most High God. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. How do I know? I sat in church for 24 years. I knew about Jesus. I didn't know Jesus. You know, it's important that I say this right here and now. As you know, we're not going to get through any of this. But anyhow, <laughs> Romans 8, I'm not Romans, John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 31, 32. If you continue in my word, you're my disciple indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The word know in the Greek is gnosko. And that word means, it's, it's subject, and it unites itself with the object. It's knowledge that perfectly unites the subject with the object. He's not talking about being book smart. I know what the verse says. Anybody here can probably quote that verse, right? You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. How many times have you said that? But the word know is the key here. See, know does not mean intellectually learned. Know means you can be an electrician. You've heard me say this before. It bears repetition here. You can be an electrician. You went to school for understanding electricity and all that. And you have this book smart. You're book smart. You have knowledge about electricity, so on and so forth. And you can say anything about electricity. You're an electrical engineer. That means you're book smart. Great. That's not what that word means. The word means know it by sticking your fingers into an outlet or keeping the electricity electrical current flowing and get a butter knife and try to do something and then zap. And when you get zapped and your hair is sticking straight up in the air, guess what? Now you know electricity. What a difference. Do you see that? So when it says you shall know the truth, he's talking about entering into it. Another terminology that's used in scripture is this. In Genesis chapter 4, and then it says that Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bare a son. Now, do you think he was just talking about being book smart about who Eve was? No. Mm -mm. Let's put it this way. You may know as a man a lot of women. Maybe where you work, you have a lot of women where you work. You know them. You better only know your wife. Same word, different meaning, different context, wouldn't you say? That's, here's where we miss it. We think, I know the scripture. I know what it says. No, you may know it intellectually. We call that mentally assenting to it. But is it here? Has it moved from here to here in its reality? So when someone says, well, you were at a church for all those years. You sure you weren't born again? I know I wasn't born again. You know why? I knew about Jesus. I didn't know Jesus. See, I knew about him, all that he did and that sort of thing. But I never had him here. 
I was upset and angry where I came from. I went back and even told them. How come you never told me that Jesus said you must be born again? I got this. You can't believe everything in that book. That made my exit quick. What do you mean you can't, I can't believe what's in that book? Jesus says you must be born again. I never heard that. Well, you've you got to exalt your church doctrine above what that says. That was it for me. You shall know the truth. When I accepted Christ as my Savior in that milk crane, or my bedroom and then milk crane, I'll tell you what, something happened in here. All that I knew up here went down to here. And when it got down to here, I changed. I was born of the Spirit, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Guess what? I began to align myself with the will of God for my life as an individual. Um, how many, you give me another minute. 50 of you? I'll give you one more, one more. Look at, look at the Acts chapter 19. This is very essential to all of us to be prepared for his coming. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, he said to them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. What was the question? Have you received the Holy Ghost? When? Since when? Since you believed. So Paul thought they were born against believers. And he asked the question. This is 20 years after Pentecost. 20 years later. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Well, I thought when you get saved that you got all the Holy Ghost there is. No, you don't. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's why on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Ghost fell on them, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That's why when Peter went over to the house of Cornelius, he's the Gentile, the first Italian Gentiles that got filled with the Holy Ghost. On that day of Pentecost, Jews never thought they could go into the house of a, of a Gentile and that they're going to, you know, preach the gospel to them because they didn't believe that it was possible for them to be saved. And so Peter was criticized for going to the house of Cornelius, but he went there because an angel instructed him to go. Are you going to listen to an angel or your Jewish friends? You're going to listen to the angel of the Lord, right? So he goes there and he preaches the gospel. While he's preaching the gospel, the Holy Ghost falls in the house of an Italian, of the Italian band, the Roman centurion of the Italian band, and they all get filled with the Holy Ghost and speak with other tongues and they prophesy. And Peter gets taken into question for that happening and he says, what was I to do? I'm just there preaching the gospel. This was all God. The Holy Ghost fell on them like he fell on us at the beginning. What was I supposed to do? Stand against God? And then they backed off and just said, well, I guess then salvation has come to the Gentiles. Aren't you glad that salvation has come to the Gentiles? Tammy, come on up. Uh, aren't you glad? Are you glad? I know I am. But notice the question. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed. Have you? Well, I, I pray that we all have. If you haven't, God wants us all to be prepared. He wants us to be ready. He wants us to be in a position where we align ourselves with his will for our lives. He wants us all to receive the Holy Ghost. But once again, he's a gentleman. He's not going to force it on us, not going to push it on us. But if you haven't received the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues as the Spirit of God gives utterance, 
align yourself with the will of God and receive. I had to humble myself. Everybody has to humble themselves to come and receive the Holy Spirit, which is called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Someone says, I thought that was done away with. Well, it wasn't. And to be honest with you, every one of these points can be a sermon in itself. That's why we're not going to get to point three. But each and every one of these, God wants you saved. God wants the guy next to you that's obnoxious to be saved where you work. God wants that lady that, you know, when it's Christmas time and she ran in and took those clothes out from underneath you when you had them, she took them right out of your hand. I've seen this. I, I'm, I'm a witness. I'm an eyewitness. I was told that women do that. I said, I don't believe that. Women, during that time, they will come and take it right out of your hand. I said, I don't believe that. I witnessed it one time. There she was holding a dress and someone came, took it right out and said, that's mine. It happens. Let's all stand together before the Lord.